<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 56 of The Complete Work Season 2, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me through the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host, and fellow Goldblumaniac. Mike Tricio. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. I'm excited for another uh, Goldblum, Goldblum episode here. It's, I feel like I feel like we're, <laughs> we're in a weird like kind of period post, you know, early, early 2000s, 2001. He's had I don't know. What is this like the ninth movie we've covered from 2001? Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of 2001 movies. I think this this one's technically uh, 2002, I think, actually. Mike. Oh. I think we've, we've left one behind. Uh, but yeah, the early 2000s, kind of a weird Goldblum period. You just look at the movies that we've covered so far and it's like, oh, Chain of Fools. Okay, like a sort of Tarantino knockoff thing that didn't really uh, come out in like any kind of major theatrical release. Okay, Perfume, this like strange independent movie that got a little bit of recognition. It's mostly improvised, uh, but has mostly fallen into obscurity. Cats and Dogs, you know, <laughs> <laughs> got uh, like, a lot of weird- traction on Cats and Dogs. Yeah, yeah, weirdly, like the movie that he's made in this period that I think has had the most lasting impact was probably Cats and Dogs, uh, a movie that, as we talked about in the last episode, we had zero memory of when we were kids. Like we know we saw it, but we had zero memory of anything that happened in the movie. <laughs> yeah, very, very strange times. But I'm excited. I think I'm excited for today's episode. I think this will be an interesting movie. Talk yeah. About. I think so, too. So pretty soon on this podcast, speaking of like the eras of Goldblum, uh, we're going to reach Jeff Goldblum's first collaboration with Wes Anderson, uh, which was The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Uh, and Anderson, I think, is a filmmaker who very much has his own troupe of recurring actors, you know, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman, Tilda Swinton and all them. And Goldblum at this point has been in three Wes Anderson movies. So I'd say he's very much part of that group. Uh, and I think of Wes Anderson as one of the few directors left who is fairly well known to the public as well. Yes. Uh, like that's something that unites like a handful of filmmakers, like a Tarantino, a Scorsese, a Spielberg, a Christopher Nolan is one of the last ones that really has that cachet. Also They're, like their style is just so distinctive and their work is such a major part of the culture that those directors reach their own level of celebrity status. And I think Wes Anderson's like a weird one because yeah, you know, almost all of those other directors that I just named did so by making like blockbusters or movies that like changed the cultural zeitgeist in some way, <laughs> you know, yeah, like sneaky art house blockbusters. Yes. Like, oh, wait a second. Yeah. This and has Wes, a distinctive vision. And Wes Anderson is somebody who made a lot of quirky comedy dramas for Fox Searchlights and uh, yeah. has become a somewhat household name. Like he's somebody who like there was an SNL parody of Wes Anderson movies like 10 years ago uh, where it was like a Wes Anderson it's horror Ed movie. Norton. With Edward Norton as Owen Wilson, and it was very funny, and it was uh, like the audience like responded to it. You know, this was like post Moonrise Kingdom, I think, is when this came out. Yeah, uh, you know, like Wes Anderson is just somebody who is around, and I think that's kind of impressive. Just the fact that these are the kind of movies he made, and he still got that kind of level of name recognition. Uh, and I think I'm bringing up Wes Anderson because I just recently rewatched the Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, but between that movie and Rushmore. Uh, Anderson had broken through by the early 2000s, and his style and was already starting to be imitated. Case in points. The movie we're talking about today, 2002's Igby Goes Down. We do take a lot of pride in seeing our boys succeed. Uh, But of course, we're here to discuss Igby. 
Higby Slocum was given everything a boy could want. What exactly do you think you're doing here, Slocum? The Ritz Carlton was full. But what he wants now is out. I'm on the lamp. You doing school or something? No. How old are you, Higby? I'm 18. I'm very close to being 18. You want to stay here? I'm Oliver, and this is my little brother, Igby. What kind of a name is Igby? 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 Igby! It's the kind of a name that someone named Sookie is in no position to question. That's my uh, godson, Igby. How you doing? Good. How did you end up at military school? Mimi. You call your mother Mimi? Heinous one is a bit cumbersome. My son hates me. That's always been one of his favorite topics of conversation. What are you planning to do with your life, Igby? Go on my razor's edge experience. Discover the meaning of life. Whatever. Your little vacation's about to come to a rather abrupt and severe end. I believe that certain people in life are meant to fall by the wayside. To serve as warnings for the rest of us, signposts along the way. Your brother is looking for you. We gotta go now, I gotta get out of here. I'm not going with you, Igby. You think you're what he wants? He won't lie to you! Shut up, Sucky! You're just a glutton for punishment, aren't you, Ix? United Artists and Atlantic Streamline invites you to a world of wealth and privilege. Chin Chin. Chin Chin. Where insanity is relative. <laughs> I'm very tense about all of Igby's trouble. Mimi, get off the maid. Igby goes down. So Igby Goes Down is the uh, directorial debut of Burr Steers, who for the decade before this had mostly been doing bit parts as an actor. His most notable role probably being a flock of seagulls from Pulp Fiction. Uh, Whoa, that guy. Yeah, yeah that guy, exactly. I believe uh, Sam Jackson kills him. He's, he's yeah. dead. Uh, yeah, so taking its cues from those early Wes Anderson films and loosely based on J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye, uh, Igby Goes Down is about a rebellious teenager who runs away from his wealthy, dysfunctional family and lives alone in New York City. Now, Goldblum fits into this because he plays D.H. Barnes, uh, Igby's godfather and a successful real estate magnate who's cheating on his wife. And Igby himself is played by Kieran Culkin. This is kind of his breakout role, too. He's probably best known for his role today on HBO's Succession. Uh, and he was also Wallace Wells in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I think there's I think it's Kieran Culkin that's in some movie with Emma Stone and Jeff Daniels, I think, that I remember seeing. It's like some indie drama thing that I saw on HBO one time and was like, whoa, this is amazing. And then I <laughs> forgot everything about it and I've never seen it since. Uh, but that was when he hit my radar, which is pretty weird. An indie drama with Emma Stone, Jeff Daniels and Kieran Culkin. I Jeff am... Daniels is like an author and they go to Montauk on Long Island, which is why I like connected to it. Yeah. First for the, like the winter. Uh, and it was very weird. I'll, I'll try to look it up while we're talking while we're while we're. Yeah, doing I'm bit. like racking my brain to figure out what movie this would be. I feel like it's got to be like late 2000s to early 2010s, like if Emma Stone's in it, you know? Yeah, um, it's like maybe 2012 or 2011 or something okay. like that. Yeah, I, I am completely blanking on that. Uh, but for those who don't know, Kieran Culkin, the younger brother of Macaulay Culkin, uh, he actually played uh, Macaulay Culkin's brother in Home Alone. Uh, and this movie is kind of his breakout. Plus, the younger version of the character in this movie, Igby, is played by the other Culkin brother, Rory Culkin. Uh, who huh. is probably best known for playing Mel Gibson's son in Signs. Uh, that's kind of his big uh, claim to fame. Uh, he's also in You Can Count On Me. I think he is the kid in that movie, too. But Signs is the one I think more people have seen. Uh, so, yeah. Did you find out what movie it was, Mike? 
I did. It was called Paper Man, and it was from 2010. Paper Man uh, from where, 2010. Yeah, Jeff Daniels is a novelist that goes out uh, to the East End of Long Island to, to try to write a, write his book, and Ryan Reynolds plays his imaginary friend from childhood that comes back because he's all depressed and stuff. Ryan Reynolds and Emma Stone, a crude's pre-union, Mike? Correct, yes. <laughs> a crude's pre-union, 2010, Paper Man. I don't Man. remember if it's actually good or not, but interesting. We'll I, I feel out. like I remember that title. Like, I feel like I, I can picture that title in my head, but only because you said it. Uh, yeah. But I, I can't even fathom. Like, I can't picture what the movie is. But that was the same year that Emma Stone had Easy A and was like her. That was kind of her breakout movie, too. Right. Uh, that's kind of wild. Uh, but all right. Uh, our assignment for next week. We're not covering a Goblin movie. We're just talking about Paper Man. <laughs> <laughs> Kieran Culkin, season three of Complete Work. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, so Kieran Culkin plays Igby. Rory Culkin plays young Igby. And Igby's mother, Mimi, is played by Susan Sarandon, which makes this a sudden three-peat Goldblum reunion. Uh, Hell yeah. After the player and cats and dogs. Suddenly, Susan Sarandon was not in the Goldblum reunion thing at all over the last, like, you know, entire time of doing this podcast. Within two weeks, she's now a three-peats uh, Goldblumer, which uh, is pretty wild. Could she, there. could she make the four-peat club, Mike? I don't know. Yes. Go watch out. Scott Glenn and uh, Michael Lerner. Coming, Those are the two. For you. Those are <laughs> yeah. the two. <laughs> yeah. She's coming for you. Exactly. Uh, his father, Jason, Igby's father, Jason, is played by Bill Pullman, uh, which is also a Goldblum reunion, of course, after Independence Day. So there you go, too. And uh, he's also got a brother named Ollie, played by Ryan Philippe of MacGruber fame. That's right. <laughs> and uh, probably some other movies, too. But we just talked about MacGruber recently on our other podcast. Mike might go to the movies. Uh, go listen to that. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, I think what we uh, cruel intentions, right? And cruel uh, intentions, MacGruber. He was in. Uh, I want to say he was in the Cider Crimson House Tide. Rules, maybe <laughs> Crimson Tide, of course. Uh, I think the Cider House Rules, but I might be mixing him up with Kieran Culkin, or maybe they're both in it. Uh, which that Cider maybe. House man, it rules. That should uh, rule. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Goldblum's wife, Bunny, is played by Celia Weston from the sitcom Alice, uh, but he's cheating on her with a woman that rents from him, Rachel, played by Amanda Peets uh, from HBO's Togetherness and many other things. That's the thing I like most associate her with. Uh, great show. She's great on it, and she's great in everything. Igby stays with her while he's hiding out, along with her artist friend, Russell, played by Jared Harris, which also makes this a perfume reunion. We're racking them up this episode, Mike. Damn. Yeah, we're getting into that like weird uh, New York actor culture nyu actor culture thing going on here and just like everybody's the same now <laughs> yes absolutely it's good practice for when we start covering wes anderson movies yeah exactly <laughs> and uh while he's staying there he strikes up a relationship with suki saperstein an older girl played by claire danes at this point probably best known for romeo plus juliet uh right. but who today probably better known for homeland i would guess she was on that show for like nine years yeah was she also no who is in in shakespeare in love I can't remember who that Gwyneth is. Gwyneth Paltrow. That? That's, that's Gwyneth that's Paltrow movie. Right. Yes. Right, right, right. Not Claire Danes. But also, but, you know, the Shakespeare connection. I can see, I can see yeah. where you're coming from with that. No, Claire Danes was, uh, of course, her best role. Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Uh, who could forget it? The, the definitive Claire Danes performance. Uh, and uh, also in the movie are Bill Irwin, uh, who is as uh, Lieutenant Ernest Smith. He's Mr. Noodle on Sesame Street. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. He's also the voice of Tars in Interstellar, the robot, like the sticky, Whoa. like the robot stick thing. Uh, yeah, he's Mr. Noodle, uh, which is wild. Uh, Cynthia Nixon from Sex and the City plays Mrs. Piget. Comedian Jim Gaffigan appears as the manager at the Hilton, uh, which that's a weird cameo. That's like before he was famous, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, so that's like a very odd one. Uh, Gregory Itzen from 24. He appears as the eulogist. And finally, writer Gore Vidal makes a cameo as a Catholic priest. Uh, he's actually the real life uncle of the movie's director, Burr Steers. 
Whoa, that's cool. Yeah, so there you go. And like I said, this was Burstier's directorial debut. He followed it up by writing a pretty major hit, the romantic comedy How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, uh, which came out the next year after this. Good for him. You know, I'm yeah. glad that he, he got, got that under his belt. Yeah, he made his one indie movie and then he sold out immediately, right? Is that Yeah, that's the dream, honestly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, which it's one of my girlfriend's favorite movies. So he did something right. Uh, yeah. He'd also direct a couple of Zac Efron movies after this, too. 17 Again and Charlie St. Cloud, and uh, most recently directed to 2016's Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. This dude's got a Megan Bank. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a wild career. So Igby Goes Down opened in limited release on September 13th, 2002. And if you weren't seeing it that weekend, maybe you were seeing the movie that opened to number one, which was the original Barbershop. Whoa. Yeah. Throwback to that one. Nearly, nearly the 20 year anniversary of Barbershop, by the way. We're at year number 19 here. Amazing. Good for Barbershop. Good Absolutely. for Cedric. You know, good for all of them. Yeah, Cedric the Entertainer hosting the Emmys this year, by the way. Uh, <laughs> for the 19th anniversary of Barbershop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they timed that out specifically. Uh, also opening up this weekend was Stealing Harvard, which is a crime comedy starring Jason Lee and Tom Green. I feel. I think I've seen that movie. Really? Yeah, that sounds very familiar. That, that definitely amazing. seems like something like, you know, we would have been like, I would have been nine at this point. Uh, and I, I could see like if it was playing on Comedy Central a couple of years down the line and I was at a friend's house. Seems like something I might have seen. <laughs> yeah. Know? Or like my older cousin or my friend's older brother or something had on DVD and we would right. watch when I like we were supposed to be asleep at the sleepover or something. Yes, absolutely. That is that's 100 percent that movie. Uh, yeah. Also in the top 10 that week were My Big Fat Greek Wedding, uh, which was number two in its 22nd week at the box office. My God. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure there's been like as huge of a success story as My Big Fat Greek Wedding and like <laughs> modern box office cinema going uh, in a long time, at least like that's a movie that just you know, it was made for very little money. It was an independent movie and then just like kind of blew up and just say, stayed in the top 10 of the box office for at least 22 weeks. Uh, obviously, <laughs> uh, one hour photo also in the top 10 here. Swim fan signs, uh, city by the sea, the original triple X, uh, spy kids Two, island of lost dreams and uh, Austin Powers in gold member in your top 10 this week. Wow. That's how that's top 10 rules. Just like the center cider house. <laughs> It rules. Much like the Cider House, it rules. Uh, the IMG plot synopsis for Igby Goes Down reads, A young man's peculiar upbringing renders him unable to competently cope with the struggle of growing up. So, Mike, going into Igby Goes Down, what did you expect from this movie? What did you get coming out of it? What are your overall thoughts? Um, going into Igby Goes Down, I wasn't really sure what to expect a whole lot. This was a title I remembered like just literally the title of uh like that phrase igby goes down i had knew no context at all you knew that um, igby went down but you didn't know what that meant yes correct i didn't know uh <laughs> how he got there you know but overall it's it's pretty it's pretty fun this little movie this little it's one of those you know early 2000s ironic or, or very cyn super cynical dark comedies about rich people kind of being sad about being rich. Yeah, we were talking uh, about this like not long ago, like in a recent episode of this podcast, I think. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I do not know exactly what it was. Um, <laughs> I feel like it was in relation to perfume. That feels like the movie that would that, fit it, that would fit it the most of the ones that we've talked about. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. I think that's correct. Um, but yeah, that and everyone, I think, knows kind of exactly what I'm talking about. Right. I or I hope. Yeah, uh, you're talking about that. the movie American Beauty and nothing else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that, it's the same thing that like, oh, Pulp Fiction came out and we just got a bunch of those. And then American Beauty came out. And we just got a bunch of those. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and it wasn't even just American Beauty. It was like that kind of like, you know, late 90s like, kind of malaise where like, oh, we haven't had like 
a disaster in a while, like to, yeah. to rally around. Like it was pr- the pre 9-11 kind of days. Uh, and so we, there was like those there's a kind of a slew of movies of like people who seem like relatively well off, but like are disillusioned with the system that entraps them. And so you have like the Matrix and Fight Club and like some great movies in there, obviously. But like yeah. other ones that are like, you know, American Beauty, American Beauty won Best Picture that year. You know, that's the, the symbolic like gesture of that like, of that whole era, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Real. It's a real, real strange time in like 2000. Right. It's just weird. Yeah. And I guess this must have been made, you know, made pre 9-11, right? It came out in January 2002. Yes. Actually, this is uh, one of the last movies ever to feature the World Trade Center uh, in shots of New York City. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. That's fucked up to think about. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's got that going on where it's that kind of just, oh, I'm rich and sad about being rich, kind of. And like, what's the purpose of my life? But I feel like there's something normally I would like reject that very hard. Um, but there's something like very charismatic and just precocious, I guess, about Kieran Culkin that is fun to watch. Like he's in this world where he's like 17, I think he says at some at one point. Right. Like, I'll be 18 in a couple weeks or whatever throughout most of the movie. And he but he like is just throwing barbs at all these adults and like, you know, with these mean back and forths with Mimi, you know, Susan Sarandon and everybody just being awful to each other. Uh, and he can like hold his own. So I think the writing is really fun in that way. And, and, and there's a couple times where, you know, where it's Igby and his older brother, Ollie, right. Oliver or whatever. Yeah. Uh, where he's like, oh, the, the neo-fascist is here. Or somebody calls him the neo-fascist and Igby's like, oh, he prefers young Republican or whatever. Like there's a couple <laughs> things like that thrown throughout, which is pretty funny. But yeah, overall, I, I enjoyed this movie kind of despite myself, uh, where I was like in the in the beginning, I was like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm not really going to connect to these characters being sad about being rich. Uh, but by, by the end of it, I kind of like came around on like Igby being like a victim of circumstance a lot because he's a teenager and just like this is the life that he was given uh, he didn't choose this kind of situation you know he's just seen better days I've seen better days. he's seen better days <laughs> you are correct mike i'm glad that you were able to throw that one in there because I've, i think i've done all of them so far uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i'm pretty much right there with you i was you know from the outset as soon as it started i was like oh, i'm not really sure what to think of this because this movie starts on like a really weird sequence where it yeah. looks like they're murdering their mom I mean, it, that is what's happening. They're murdering their mom uh, and then right. it, like kind of flash like the like, opening credits hit. And then it's after that. But I don't think you necessarily know that it's going to like flash back to before that. It's just like, oh, this is like one of those crazy times they tried to murder their mom and now she's fine or whatever. Uh, like the tone of this movie is kind of all over the place for a little bit. Um, but I think once it kind of settles into, you know, Igby being on his own and like, you know, being with Goldblum and then being in New York City and connecting with Sookie. Uh, I think it really does work. Uh, and I think a lot of that is you the really incredible cast uh, that has been assembled yeah. for this. I mean, we were just talking about all the people that are involved in this. And you have a couple of like known quantities at this point. You have Jeff Goldblum, you have Pullman, you have Susan Sarandon and uh, Claire Danes have been in a few things at this point. But you also have Kieran Culkin, who's really just kind of, like you know, very young. And Amanda Peet also, I think, is very like young in this movie, like hasn't really been in a ton of stuff. And there's a few people that are like on the rise. Ryan Philippe also uh, right. that would become like, you know, better actors later on or, or well-known actors later on. Uh, and so you have that kind of fun element to it. And they all bring a lot to the movie. And like you said, the script is just filled with like a lot of really fun witty dialogue uh and kieran culkin really carries that really well uh so i was surprised by how much i like this movie watching this it kind of felt like if i was like 15 
Like I would have like fell hard for this movie. Like I, yeah, <laughs> I think if I was like 15 and like sort of in a similar like teenage angst phase, uh, like, you know, the age where I read Catcher in the Rye in high school uh, and I was like, I was yeah, just this, is, like, this speaks to me, man. Uh, and, you know, I, I now, you know, it's I'm very far past that now. And I have basically very little memory of Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> Actually, like I, I remember it like, you know, culturally and stuff, but like I don't me- like remember the act of reading it at all. I don't remember a ton of stuff that happens in the book. I mean, really not much happens. He just kind of wanders around, complains about his life uh, for the most part, right? <laughs> I've actually never read uh, Catcher in the Rye. That was really? the, one, the high school, yeah. But you're an like, English master, Mike. <laughs> but I am an English master, yeah. Uh, I sort of avoided it, not avoided it, but like by chance in high school, I was never assigned it because there was like kind of a group of books that the teachers would pick from and I didn't get that one. Uh, and then I never got to it in college for somehow. And then it was one of those things that I've always heard. And I know that's like kind of like the popular how it stands in popular consciousness, at least is like, yeah, as a teenager, it hits really hard. And then you realize that Holden Caulfield is just like a whiny bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I don't need to read that. I'm 25 now. Um, right. I missed, you know? I missed the boat on this one. <laughs> yeah. So I just never went back to it. Uh, so there is kind of that 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 sort of thing. The movie Igby Goes Down sort of manages to avoid that somehow a little bit. I think it is whiny and like kind of ah with the, the ennui of being rich and not having to worry about your life. <laughs> um, but that also is interesting. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. With you. Did you ever read uh, Grendel when you were in high school, by the way? Because that's basically Catcher in the Rye, but Beowulf version. I was going to say th- about the Beowulf monster. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did you not read Grendel? No, I read Beowulf. Okay, but no, we uh, we read like p- parts of Beowulf, like you know, but that was yeah. Be- Beowulf's a fucking epic. Like it's you know, it's yeah, it's kind of a slog to read through, <laughs> to read through. You know, a great classic of its age, but like it's very it's very difficult to parse when you're 15. Uh, right. But Grendel is like a a spinoff of Beowulf that like a young adult writer in like the I, I don't even know what decade it was. I think it was the 70s. You know, wrote and it's just like Beowulf from the perspective of Grendel, uh, and it's. <laughs> And it's basically Catcher in the Rye, but just Grendel being like, oh, I fucking hate that Beowulf guy. Uh, Amazing. It's pretty good. I, I remember liking it a lot. Like, <laughs> I remember being really into it. But that could also just be like the thing where I was like, oh, I love the like, angsty protagonists and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I relate to Grendel. I'm a dark kid. Uh, I'm a monster. <laughs> exactly. Nobody understands. Uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I don't know why I brought up Grendel. I just like, like that was one Catch that we were like, uh, that was just one we were assigned in high school. And I, I was wondering if you were assigned that as well, but I guess not. No. Yeah. I never got to read Grendel. I, I, like I said, I missed the boat on Catcher in the Rye. And this movie sort of feels like it would be like it, like it. I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? That they said it's loosely inspired by uh, Catcher in the Rye. So right. it feels feels right right at home in that kind of uh, genre there. Yeah. Uh, and I did I did really like that little opening sequence. We'll get into it, I'm sure. But like the opening credits of being like Igby's life so far, kind of like it's him as a little kid and then him going to di- all flunking out of all the schools and stuff. Right. So I, I don't know that that maybe, you know, Catcher in the Rye and high school reading lists made me think of <laughs> Igby being <laughs> flunked out of every every high school he goes to. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, so Jeff Goldblum plays D.H. Barnes, uh, which is a great name. Uh, it feels like that feels like the name that like a Southern lawyer would be in a movie or something like that. <laughs> My name is yeah. D.H. Bonds. Tex McAdoo. <laughs> exactly. Tex Ma- I forgot about Tex McAdoo. He's the best. He's uh, on my mind all the time. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum plays D.H. Barnes. He is Igby's godfather uh, who sort of takes Igby in a little bit like, or he at least hires Igby to like do some work around his uh, his, you know, estate or whatever over the summer. Uh, yeah. So what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in this movie, Mike? I think this is a great sleazy Jeff Goldblum uh, <laughs> yeah. that we haven't really seen a whole lot of recently, I guess, uh, on the podcast. But, yeah, he is just 
what a slime ball. You know, everybody, everybody in the world of like Mimi and DH and like the parents, everything is just transactional, right? Everybody is, what can you get? What can I get out of you kind of situation? Yeah. Uh, and DH does that, like his very first scene when he's like, how about you come uh, get exploited by your godfather for the summer to do some free labor for me? Ha <laughs> ha, like plays it off as a joke. But like, that is absolutely the whole entire point <laughs> of right. his relationship and, and his uh, quote unquote taking in of Igby is just so he can make him renovate his properties or whatever but i like that igby sort of like knows that and he's like well uh can i stay at your beach house and uh, you know dh is like on the weekends and he's like deal and they're like yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. kind of thing um yes yeah igby sort of like respects that about him almost he's like into, he's into that idea of you know taking advantage of everybody else and you know uh there's the one monologue that igby has like at the party where he's talking yeah. about, I think he's talking to Sookie and he's like talking about Goldblum and how he's cheating on his wife with Amanda Peets. And he's like, oh, honestly, I kind of respect the hustle, respect the game. <laughs> like, yeah. Bringing his mistress to the party where his wife is in front of all of his friends and family. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Goldblum is great. Uh, sleaze slime ball. And he, and the way he like snaps those hundred dollar bills out of his like wad whenever he's just like, okay, this conversation is done. Uh, you know, whatever, yep. Whatever uh, awkward situation has come up, where the, whether it's Igby like walking in, walking in on him, or uh, the mortician right guy at the end, uh, like he's just like, okay, we're done here, snap, and like that hundred dollar <laughs> bill comes off the roll. Uh, it's great, very good. Yes, absolutely. He plays a sleazy guy, and he plays it very well. And I think you're right that it's something that you don't see all that much of in these kind of later Goldblum performances, but Goldblum kind of started out playing sleazy characters. That was sort of right. his, you know, he was freak number one in death wish, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's where he got his beginnings. And so, you know, he did those kind of like thug roles for a couple of movies and, you know, like, thank God it's Friday. He's this kind of sleazy guy who owns the club yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I think once you get to like blockbuster era Goldblum, you know, it's, it's tougher to be like a leading man in movies and also be sleazy. I think there's very few people who like kind of walk that balance, yeah. uh, you know, in this era, like maybe like Michael Douglas was like the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, uh, good poll. Yeah. You know, but uh, but so Jeff Goldblum, uh, you know, mostly like, uh, you know, there's like elements of sleaziness, like an Ian Malcolm or something like that. Uh, but he's mostly just like, hey, he's being his charming Goldblum self. Right. And uh, right. You know, he, here I think he gets to let loose a little bit more uh, and have some fun being kind of a villainous character. Uh, which is pretty cool to see. And uh, I think you do get the sense that like, he's at least, you know, him caring for Igby. Like I, I think when it starts happening at first, like you're, you're wondering like, Oh, does he actually like care for Igby deep down or whatever? Or is he just like putting on like this big front? And it's kind of like letting you guess that for a minute. And then like, you know, pretty quickly Goldblum's entire relationship with Igby, like basically devolves, uh, you know, see like every time they have a scene with each other, it's like, Oh, this is getting worse and worse over time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's the, the scene too, right? Like right when they like begin the, when the summer starts or whatever, and, and uh, DH makes him sign the contract. Like, you know, he's like every relationship is made better by having a, a contract or I forget what the, actual line is but he yeah. makes him literally sign a contract and then that just keeps you know like you said devolving throughout the movie and i was thinking i just was thinking too that you know we haven't really seen Goldblum get to be super sleazy like last movie was cats and dogs <laughs> where he's the dad uh yes you know but then i guess before, obviously that doesn't count uh but like uh, since he was the devil in mr frost maybe like <laughs> or he's the literal devil uh but yeah he hasn't gotten to do this kind of this kind of villainous type thing super recently yeah i'd say maybe like perfume is is another one that yeah could, yeah perfume and like chain of fools he's like a murderer uh right or he's like he's in you know but he's like a criminal though. but there's i think there's a difference between like him being like a skeezy criminal and him being like a sleazy like take advantage of people kind of guy like he is in this movie yeah you know, right. uh, there's there's different le there's levels of sketchiness and Goldblum eventually will hit all of them in, 
in these Correct. movies. Uh, how do you think this fits into the roles that we've seen Goldblum play so far, Mike? Well, we touched on perfume. Uh, we touched on both. I only had two so far. And perfume, uh, for sure, was the most obvious. Whether it's just the kind of like New York upper crust Sure. world that this movie kind of sits in jared jared harris also is like plus jared yeah, harris in both of them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and he's like also a weird artist in this um he is amazing so in this movie he's so good he's so good yeah <laughs> he reminded me of uh, of david thewlis and the big lebowski uh whoa that yes. was the, uh, the the immediate thing that came to mind i was like this is this is the exact setup is like julianne moore and david thewlis in in the big lebowski 100 yeah. percent, just a giant loft yeah you're right 100 percent yeah, so Perfume and then also Chain of Fools. Just that kind of, you know, black comedy kind of that's, you know, obviously about like the kind of uh, fools, uh, you know, the titular Chain of Fools. Of course. Uh, and this is m- more just about rich people, but just that kind of like comedy of errors situation that happens a couple times. Yeah, well, guess what, Mike? I had uh, two movies listed for mine and they were both Chain of Fools and Perfume. So perfect. <laughs> So we moving on. <laughs> All right. So let's start running down. Igby goes down scene by scene, which, by the way, it's a very fun title to sing to. Uh, if you want to sing it to the tune of Sugar, we're going down by Fall Out Boy. You know, I wrote <laughs> out some lyrics on my Twitter page. You can go check them out there. Uh, but it's nice. definitely worth worth just getting that in your head uh, for sure. Uh, anyway, let's run the movie down scene by scene. Uh, the movie opens on Igby and Ollie trying to kill their mother off with poison. <laughs> like right. That's that's the opening scene of the movie. Do we know they've poisoned her? I don't really remember in that scene. I they think they do say it. Yeah. They say something like, uh, you know, what's what's taking this poison so long? <laughs> or, you yeah. know, something like that. And then they're like, uh, her lungs are too strong from all that tennis that she does or something. And that shows her That's like right. you know, playing tennis. Uh, and so like, huh, well, what do we do? And so then they uh, they take a plastic bag. They put it over her head and like tie it around her uh, to suffocate her. Uh, and then you see her eyes like open wide as she's struggling to breathe. And then cut to opening credits. Yes. What a weird way to start this movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially because you don't really get like that's the scene at the end of the movie. It's, you know, one yeah, of those it's the last 10 minutes of the movie. It's, it's one of those in media ray openings, which we uh, we talked about uh, in our Nicolas Cage mini season uh, yes. that we did <laughs> that we did recently, because uh, that happened in like four or five Nicolas Cage movies where they showed like, oh, let's show a scene at the end, a place at the beginning, get people's interest riled up. You know, uh, why don't we get to three weeks earlier when you were alive? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we'll spend an hour and 20 minutes building up to it. Exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, so that the whole thing happens. Then you get the opening credits. And uh, as the opening credits going on, you kind of get flashbacks of Igby's life. So you're seeing young Igby played by Rory Culkin uh, and his dad played by Bill Pullman. And, you know, you're just seeing them go to the movies. You see like family dinners where it's getting like a lot of fighting happening, a lot of stress. Uh, Bill Pullman walks out naked at one point. You get naked Bill Pullman. He throws pills in the mom's face and all that stuff. And there's like the implication that uh, his, the dad is sick in some way, but you don't really know, understand how yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He talks about after the movies, I think they're like walking home and he says like, oh, yeah, and I'm not I'm not like uh, fully well to go back to work yet. Yeah, I don't do good in the winter uh, kind of thing. You're like, what? What's happening with with wacky Bill Pullman? Right. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So and really, you don't see a ton of Bill Pullman in this movie. It's mostly in flashbacks uh, yeah. that you're seeing him in. Uh, but now you're in present day and uh, it's Igby getting in trouble at school. I'm not sure. Did it say ever like what he actually did or he's just in trouble? Uh, well, there's the military school. Oh, no, that's next. This right? is right before uh, that. Yeah. So he's in trouble at school. And, uh, you know, Susan Sarandon and Ollie come to pick him up. And uh, takes him out of the office. And uh, I think Susan Sarandon like kind of slaps him and is like, what's wrong with you? And Ollie's like, Igby's not my problem. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think she says, you, I can't, like, how could you even fail art or something? Like, you failed every class and it's like beating the shit out of him. Yeah. But that's a very funny line, too, where Igby is uh, right before that when he's talking to the priest, or moment, rather, I guess, when he's like, you know, if afterlife is so perfect, like, uh, why, why is dying on the crucifix? So it's a big deal. And then it just cuts to the priest who's just, like, stone-faced staring at him, which I guess is perfect <laughs> hell. That's amazing. Yes. And then Susan Sarandon walks in. Yes, absolutely. And so, see, they pick him up and, you know, like the relationships are pretty much established right away where Ollie's like disowning Igby at this point. Like he's left for college and he's just kind of there and he's like, listen, uh, you know, I I am not his parent. Uh, You know, I was away at college when all this happened. This is on you. Like, ha, 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 ha. Uh, (laughs) I'm Ryan (laughs) Philippe. Exactly. (laughs) I picture him as uh, as Niles on Frasier. Like that's just kind of the, the. the whole mannerism behind Ollie and everything like that. That's kind of his whole deal. But a- after this, it's decided they're going to send Igby to military school. And so you have a kind of a montage of Igby in military school. You see him hiding weed, you know, as the, uh, you know, the lieutenant comes in and all that kind of stuff. You see people like beating up Igby in the bathroom and all that. Seems like he's having a rough go of it at military yeah. school. He's seen better days. I've seen better days. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was where I was like, I got to get that in the podcast. There you um, go. Yeah, that's the scene where we get the title, right? Where, like, uh, they're beating the shit out of him with the brooms. And yep. he falls down in the shower. And one of them's like, oh, Igby goes down. You're <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, Weird. And it's Yeah, it's weird that he says the title of the movie. It's like he knew he was in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> he looked at the camera and everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, so there's this whole montage of Igby having a rough time in military school. Meanwhile, this, like, voiceover kicks in of Jeff Goldblum. Uh, and he's saying, ah, yes, military school, best thing that can happen to a young kid. You know, it's you, know, you might not appreciate it now, but you're going to love it. And it kind of shows that he's talking to Igby and Ollie and Mimi, and they're all like out at dinner together. But you've made some uh, real buddies, haven't you, Igby? Igby has buddies. Haven't you got buddies, Igby? Many. You have that buddy with the cute little name, that, that, that little buddy tortoise. Turtle. 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 He was my best buddy. Then his rifle backfired and blew his face off. We all learned a valuable lesson about weapon maintenance that day. Why didn't the school inform me? Wasn't the school's fault. They were great about it. Pay for the dry cleaning and everything. Not because they had to, but because it was the right thing to do. I believe that um, certain people in life are meant to fall by the wayside, to serve as warnings for the rest of us, signposts along the way. To where? Success. Our father would be a slippery when schizophrenic sign, for instance. Along the highway of life. Yeah, and I, I do like the, the, this is the first time it happens, but uh, in that montage, we learn about his friend Turtle, right? It's, there he's the guy smoking weed with him and stuff. Uh, and then when they're out to dinner, he's like, oh, yeah, Turtle's uh, rifle backfired and blew his face off and he's dead now. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, what the <laughs> fuck? And then it happens a couple times, uh, specifically with Ollie towards the end of the movie or where Igby's talking about Ollie. And you're like, oh, he's probably was probably lying about Turtle. Um, yeah. Just to make this conversation awkward for everybody else at the table. Yeah, but I, I think it was like stuff like this that really started to remind me of Wes Anderson movies, uh, specifically Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums, which would have been the two that had like just come out before Igby goes down. And, you know, I, I, like having just rewatched the Royal Tenenbaums, like you have that like completely like dry sense of humor that often about like dark things, like people are being completely disaffected and emotionless about like horrific like events yeah. that are happening in their lives uh, and stuff. And I think this movie kind of has a lot of that. And also Royal Tenenbaums is about 
like a rich family. And this is also about a rich family. So it's just it's I, I I'm not sure like this movie was probably being made while Royal Tenenbaums was being released like right. you know, something along those lines. So I'm not sure like how much of a direct influence that movie would have had on this or not. Uh, but it, def- it definitely feels of that of a piece with that movie, at least, uh, which you have not seen. So I guess you can't comment on Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm excited, though, for you to make me watch it one day. One day. It's going to happen for sure. Uh, but yeah, so at this dinner, uh, Goldblum actually hires Igby for some summer work. He uh, wants him to you know, work around the penthouse and you know, do some stuff uh, there. And Igby agrees. Uh, and then there's a scene where Igby sneaks into the Hilton. And Jim Gaffigan <laughs> is the, uh, the, motel, the hotel manager. And you know, Igby's like, kind of making a fuss like, oh, my mom's credit card's not working. That's very strange. And he like, you know, gets the whole thing. But he gets the room. He gets in there. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. That's where it kind of really sets the tone. Like, obviously, we've seen Igby be like a very troublemaker kind of kid so far. But that right before that, where he like types the letter with the typewriter about like the son, my son, the bearer of this letter uh, has permission to use my card and steals the pills from his mom and the whiskey and all this stuff and a credit card. And then it's just him like having a bender in the Hilton (laughs) after this. Uh, And he calls somebody's sister. I don't remember who he called one of his school classmates. And pretends to be the teacher. Oh, that, yeah. That it's very funny. Yeah. And he's, and he's like, oh, so, yeah. And he, like, he's like hitting on her and it's like, oh, you don't yeah. sound 11. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, uh, must be all the cigarettes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, and he hangs up. Uh, yeah. Very funny. Yes, that was pretty solid. Uh, also, wild to uh, see another Culkin sneaking into a New York City hotel. Whoa. I wonder <laughs> if that was on purpose. It had to be. I feel like it might have been like that just feels like something like, yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, I also did really enjoy uh, his line because uh, uh, Lieutenant Smith shows up, uh, who is Mr. Noodle from Sesame Street. Uh, right. And he knocks on the door and he like sees like, Igby, what are you doing here? And uh, I was like, well, what are you doing at the Hilton? And Igby goes, well, the Ritz Carlton was full. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty solid. Uh, nailed it. Good snarky response. Uh, so, yeah. So Igby gets that like take it's taken out of the hotel. There's a scene of Igby in therapy or what seems to be therapy. He's like talking to this guy and, you know, telling him all of his problems. And the therapist actually hits him. Yeah, I forget exactly. He's he goes to rehab right after the bender at the hotel. It's just like a series yes. of bad things that have happened to Igby. And then, yeah, I forget what he's talking about. He's telling him some story about somebody at, at the military school and calls the therapist an idiot. And the idiot and the therapist yes. just backhands him. <laughs> yes. He's like, we're done. <laughs> Absolutely. And then as as this is going on, you also see uh, Mimi, Susan Sarandon, the mom. Uh, she's in like a sick bed at the home uh, right. while Ali is like there. And, you know, this nurse is like kind of like looking over her and, uh, you know, they're talking about like the pills that she's taking and the mom yells at the nurse and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I don't think they ever actually say like or they, they say at this point like that what she's sick of, but it's implied that she's also sick. Yeah, I don't remember if they say. Yeah, at this point, I don't think they say uh, it kind of ties back to the beginning the that opening scene before the credits where they're like, oh, man, she has such a high tolerance for everything that we tried to give her. Yeah, she's not dying yet. Uh, and that's what the nurse is like. You're taking amphetamine and also Vicodin, like <laughs> like all this stuff. <laughs> and she's like, well, I can't sleep because if I don't take the Vicodin because, uh, you know, I need to take the amphetamine to stay awake. And it's like all this stuff. So but yeah, this is where you find out that something is something is amiss with. Uh, yes, something is amiss. And she uh, assigns Ollie to watch Igby this summer and just, uh, right. you know, whatever, wherever he is, Ollie's got to be also. And Ollie's just the disaffected older brother is like, oh, fine. And so after this, Goldblum uh, brings Rachel, uh, Amanda Peace character, to the apartment that Igby's working at. Uh, the big penthouse and Igby's like kind of like painting and doing all kind of like construction stuff or whatever. And, uh, you know, Goldman brings Rachel over there and Igby's immediately like distracted by her beauty, basically. Yeah, it's a pretty like weird, interesting scene, I guess. You know, it's funny because everyone's kind of like goofing and, and, and Goldblum knows like he's very clearly 
Oh, DH is showing off Rachel to everybody, right? Yeah. He's like kind of like finger gunning at the other guy that's there doing the construction with Igby. And he's like, Igby, Igby over here. Like, you know, kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a, it's a pretty fun scene. Yes, absolutely. And I think it, it's re- relatable in the sense like Igby's, you know, this like dumb teenager who's never been outside of the world before or outside of school. And like, you know, he's yeah. been in this very controlled environment before. And he's just like completely like blindsided by like this like beautiful girl that walks into the apartment and he has no idea how to handle it kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And I think that worked that that works pretty well in the scene, too. Yeah, it's well, it's one. Of, I think it's the first time where he doesn't have like snarky responses anytime somebody's talking to him. Yes. Uh, I mean, later on, he does when he talks to Rachel, like uh, later at the party and stuff. He's, yeah. he's like he's well, back to his normal self. Yeah. But. Once they like start talking and communicating a little bit, he's yeah, he's back to normal. They bring Rachel back to the place and then uh, Goldblum has the big party at his mansion. And uh, at the party, uh, Igby ends up talking to Sookie on the beach. So Sookie is like uh, working as a caterer there. Uh, Claire Danes' character. And they uh, they connect a little bit. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what they talk about on the beach, but there's the pretty funny moment, too, where she learns his name is Igby. And she's like, what the hell kind of name is Igby? And he's like, the kind of name somebody named Sookie has no right to talk about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty good. Um yeah, their 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 connection is pretty is a little more wholesome than Rachel in his connection because Rachel's like an adult, uh, like a right. full on adult. Uh, like <laughs> Sookie is in college and presumably you know twenty or twenty whatever. Right, a few uh, a few years older than Igby, but not like a crazy. I mean, uh, a man like I don't think Rachel is like that much older than than Sookie is. Uh, yeah, you know? uh, but she's like she's probably in her twenties. You know, whatever. Right. Um, but definitely uh, like not in college and like a little bit older than that. So yeah, I, I think you're right. That like the the relationship between Igby and Sookie does feel like more wholesome in that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing's really wholesome in this movie, though. No, yeah, nothing <laughs> and we'll really get to is. why. But. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, at, they connect on the beach and then Igby kind of returns to the party and uh, he ends up talking to Rachel again. He tries to bum a cigarette off Sookie and she won't give him one. Uh, and then when he comes inside, he bu- tries to bum a cigarette off Rachel and she does. Maybe right. that's the whole cr- like that's symbolic of the relationship between the two women right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, Rachel enables everything that's bad about Igby and, and, and Sookie wants him to be better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so Rachel gives Igby a cigarette and he like lights it. And then Ollie like just t- takes it out of his hand and like stuffs it in his drink and puts it out. That's a pretty fun recurring uh, like bit in that in this scene where like people keep ashing and stuff into Igby's drink. Yes. Uh, until he gives that whole big <laughs> monologue at the end and then takes a big swig and spits it back out. <laughs> Pretty good. Yes. Yeah, pretty good. And so you kind of see Ali kind of mingling in the party and oh, Igby says some kind of comments about neo-fascism. It's like, actually, I'm an economics major. Ho ho. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, embrace your moral hypocrisy and all that kind of stuff. But at, at the end of this whole thing, Rachel seems like, you know, pretty um, turned off by Ali, but like pretty into what Igby's putting down. You know, he like yeah. kind of digs his vibe. And so she gives him her number uh, at the end of uh, as the conversation ends. She like writes down a napkin and then she leaves. Right. Yeah, but it also seems to be coming from a point of like making DH jealous because they keep like that's when he's giving that whole like yes. Igby's giving that whole monologue about like you know the moral hypocrisy and bring your mistress to your family party thing and Goldblum is watching them from the balcony or from the whatever uh, from the staircase and Rachel gives Igby her number but like while looking at Goldblum so it seems like she's doing it to make him angry or jealous or whatever which makes their relationship even weirder. Uh, and dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then uh, about a month passes and Igby shows up at Rachel's place. <laughs> yeah, she, she, he shows up. Yeah, he shows up at her apartment uh, and she is very confused. She does not remember who he is at first. Right. Uh, and he's like, oh, you know me, Igby, you gave me your number at the party. And she's like, oh, yeah, a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Weird uh, to see you here. Yes. And he's like, ah, oh, you said if I was ever in the city, I could stop by. And so I'm here. Uh, and he shows. And so he kind of walks in and Russell is there. Jared Harris, MVP of the movie. Uh, he's a delight. What a sleazebag he is to you, but in the best way. <laughs> yeah. He's like wearing like feather boas and makeup the entire movie. And, you know, yeah. it's, he's like this, you know, disillusioned artist character. Uh, and all that kind of stuff. One of my favorite lines in the movie is uh, it's a little bit later, um, but I think Igby says something like is explaining Rachel and Russell to Sookie. And he says something like, uh, like she's a dancer who doesn't dance and he's a painter who doesn't paint. It's a, a boho Island of the Lost Toys. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, he's a, a uh, artist, right? Jerry right. Harris's character. And he's like, oh, do, do you paint? He's like, I'm a performance artist. Yeah. Uh, so, so do you paint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I find art in everything. It's a, so no painting then or like <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah so they, he meets russell and uh you know he tells rachel hey i'm hiding out because uh you know military school didn't work out and they're gonna ship me off to another school basically and i'm done with that whole life i just want to live on my own in new york city uh and so rachel tells him you can stay here for a couple of days but you have to leave soon <laughs> right and they kind of like work out some system with like the key on the door on the yes. hook or something. Like when, right? Whenever Goldblum shows up, that key has to be there. Basically, that's that's right. the only that's the only system. So if, if Goldblum shows up and that key's not there, Igby's dead. He stays at the place, and uh, I think it's that night. Rachel and Igby have sex. Yeah, real weird. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> happens pretty quick. Um, but yeah, they they have sex, and then that, that's intercut with uh, a scene of Mimi meeting with Goldblum's wife, Bunny. Uh, and they're like kind of having this conversation and bunny is trying to steer it into the direction of like, well, Hey, like we could start taking care of Igby if you want, like, you know, we could be his parents and all that. And it's driving Mimi nuts. And she storms out of there and writes, fuck you on a mirror and leaves. Right. And I forget what she says to bunny. She called like, uh, she's got some like stinger on the way out, but yeah, that's, that scene is pretty strange. And like, uh, it's it's like, what's going on? (laughs) Um, I'm uncomfortable that, because I think I think the scene right before this is where Igby says, like, oh, yeah, I'll be 18. He says he's 18. And then he's like, well, OK, I'll be 18 in a few weeks. Right. Uh, and then they have sex that day. <laughs> it's like, mm, what's happening? What's yeah. happening in this movie? here? I mean, you know, it's 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 loose. I, I think this it's supposed to depict Rachel and Russell as like these very loose kind of free loving people who, yeah. you know, have casual sex all the time and stuff. And I think there was an attraction between Rachel and Igby at the party, even though she was also yeah. doing it partially to make Goldblum jealous. Uh, and maybe this is also part of like her elaborate plan to make Goldblum jealous or whatever it is. Um, but obviously that backfires pretty quick later in the movie, which we'll talk about in a, in a bit. Uh, but after this, uh, Igby's, you know, walking around New York city, just being disillusioned and, you know, teenage angsty and all that stuff. And he's sitting on the sidewalk and he runs into Sookie. Sookie's there now. He's like trying to sell something, I think. Right. He's sitting with like the guys with the fake Rolexes or something. Stuff. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah. He's like trying to you know make a little bit of money because he has ba- like he's renounced his inheritance and basically doesn't want you know to do with any, any, any of his family's money. Uh, and right. so Sookie runs into him on the street and, uh, you know, they kind of like start talking again. And she's like, oh, you want to come with me? And it's like, ah, no, I have to stay here. And it's like, I've got weed. And it's like, oh, I'll get my coat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and he calls himself Pavlov's pothead, uh, is a, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty good. Uh, and they start, you know, kind of connecting over that they're hanging out in central park and she rolls a perfect joint. Uh, and it's like, oh, you must be a vegetarian, uh, cause you roll a perfect joint. And she's like, well, I am, but that's irrelevant. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that conversation was pretty interesting, like fun and interesting where yeah. he's like, you don't make like a, oh, I forget what he says. He's got some weird phrase, like a sloppy phrase. joint or something like that. Yeah. Like you just tear into it like rack of ribs kind of joint. Yeah. Like what? (laughs) Um, Pretty, pretty good. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And so they're starting to connect again. 
Uh, and then you see you have a scene where Igby's uh, back at the house, back at the apartment, and uh, Lieutenant Smith knocks on the door. Uh, and even though Igby's like not enrolled in military school anymore, I think he's just like, well, I was in the neighborhood and the family uh, wanted to know where Igby was and they figured I would send me to wherever he might be. Uh, but Russell answers the door and uh, it's it's the most like like the polar opposite of people that there could ever possibly be talking to each other is uh, Lieutenant Smith and Russell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like the way Russell uh, gets him to leave, right? He's like kind of coming on to him a little bit. Yes. And he's like, oh, I like these pins. Where do you get them? Like, the U.S. Army. <laughs> like, oh, can I get some of these? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty good. And then like Lieutenant Smith like, just get, kind of gets out of there. Russell slams the door in his face. Uh, and he has a line where he like is walking past Igby. who's like hiding behind a corner. And it's like, it's OK. And Frank, the Nazis are gone. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is pretty good. And then, yeah, you have more scenes of Igby and Sookie kind of hanging out. Uh, there's like one recurring bit where like anytime Igby makes a joke, she'll say like, oh, you're funny. Um, but she won't like laugh at it. She'll just say you're funny, right. which which is also an episode of Seinfeld. That's like a whole episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, it's odd that that's like also a kind of a character moment in this movie, too. Uh, and then Igby goes back to the apartment and Goldblum is there with his pants off. Yes, he is. <laughs> Pantsless gold bloom. It finally happened. <laughs> yes. Uh, it only took 56 movies, uh, but we got there, Mike. Uh, gold bloom with his pants. He probably had his pants off in some other, in some probably, other movie yeah. before this. Not in such a compromising position. Though. No. Yeah, definitely. He's just like kind of sitting like open legged in a chair. Uh, he has his pants yeah. off and he's like just kind of looks up and it's like, oh, Igby. Hello. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he doesn't like have like any kind of big reaction to it. He's like, ah, yes. And he like knows that Igby's been missing this whole time. And now he like kind of put the pieces together that Igby's been staying in this penthouse with Rachel uh, and stuff. And so, you know, Goldblum stands up, pulls his pants back up. He takes yep. a wad of cash out, uh, pays Igby off, and then he just leaves. Yeah, disappears. He snaps that hundred dollar bill off the wad, gives it to him. <laughs> you know, I think he's like, you know, I, I think we both understand that there's no need to mention this ever happened. And he hands the hands him some money and gets out of there. I forget what he says, though. What He, he doesn't say that exactly, but it's something along the lines like, oh, Man, I can't remember. But yeah, he's like makes it very obvious to Igby that this is a hush payment. <laughs> yes. So he pays Igby off and then, you know, Goldblum leaves uh, and then Rachel enters the room and she sees that Goldblum's gone and she sees Igby's there and she puts the dots together about what just happened and she gets upset and she's like, what about the key rule? And it's like, the key was there. I entered the room, <laughs> which is yeah. why that was a bad rule in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I think she says that she let Goldblum in so he didn't use the key. Right. So the key was on the hook. Uh, and then she beats the shit out of Igby. Yeah, she attacks him. I don't remember exactly why. I guess because he fucked up the whole situation. Yeah, uh, fucked up the whole situation. And like, it's it's not even just that she cares about Goldblum all that much, but also that Goldblum is her landlord. Uh, right. I think he says, like, you're going to have, I guess you have to pay rent this month, huh? And then yeah. she just beats the shit out of him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Because that's like her, the whole arrangement that she and Goldblum have is that she gets this like huge penthouse for free. Uh, in right. exchange for like having sex with Goldblum once a month or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, so she like hits a B attacks him, just like gets him on the floor and starts pummeling him. Uh, and then like she storms out of there to try to chase after Goldblum. Uh, and then Sookie's like been outside this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And so she comes in. And she sees Igby on the floor and uh, she's like, you know, what's it's like, what happened? And like they, yeah. you know, she's she's like tends to his wounds a little bit. Uh, and then Igby and Suki have sex. Uh, so Igby's been getting yeah. around a lot. these like last couple of days that he's been in New York City. Classic rich teenager, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's super strange. <laughs> I guess so. But uh, yeah, they have sex. Uh, and then you have a flashback with Bill Pullman and you see a uh, young Igby in the bathroom 
and uh, right. it's Bill Pullman and he's kind of having like this like mental breakdown and he gets in the shower and all his clothes are on and he's just, like le- like you know sitting down on the ground and he ha- he's having like this freak out and I think it's at this point it's basically revealed that the, uh, Bill Pullman wasn't like sick sick necessarily he didn't have any kind of disease but he was mentally ill like he's like this right. pressures of society were too much on him and he's been sent to an institution now he's like basically insane yeah I think that's what he's saying right he's like brushing his teeth or whatever and, and he's Pullman is having this like big breakdown moment in the shower with the door yeah. closed and he's telling him like there's a, pre- a pressure wa- a weight pushing down on me or whatever and he breaks the shower door and like slits his wrist yeah. uh, by accident maybe like it doesn't show it you don't see any of it you just hear the glass shatter and then it turns around and Pullman is sitting down covered in blood it's, I don't know it seems pretty weird it seems you know accidentally on purpose maybe uh moment yeah definitely definitely could be and so you have a, a some more Pullman stuff that happens throughout the movie but that's kind of like the major reveal that like okay so he was institutionalized that's what happened to him uh and then you get a scene where Igby and Sookie are throwing water balloons off a roof and that's delights I, I think their condoms filled with water actually uh, I think they might be yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah I, and that's the kind of stuff I'm just like oh yeah that, like, I think this movie is at its best when it is just like you know, Igby and Sookie philosophizing and like doing random shit around New York City. That's great. Yeah, I really like all that. And the way they talk about, you know, Sookie's parents and like that her oh, mom is a metaphysical poet and her dad is something. I can't remember what the other what her dad does, but it's something like that. But it just really made me think of like grad school. <laughs> it's just like all these people <laughs> that are in this kind of echelon of, you know, academia and uh, philosophizing. Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Yes. Let's, let's have another ice cream sundae. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, and then after this, uh, they have sex again and Ollie shows up and sees Igby and Sookie in bed. Uh, and he like kind of confronts Igby and uh, is telling him like, oh, you got to come home. You know, we finally found you now. Uh, you got to come back. You know, got to go back to school and all that stuff. Uh, and Igby's refusing. He doesn't want to. Actually, he and like Suki has set him up with like taking his GED test so he doesn't have to go to school anymore and right. all that stuff. And then Ali and Suki leave together uh, under the pretense that like, oh, well, you know, I'm uptown, too. I'll give you a ride to your house. Like, you know, whatever. Uh, and he starts talking to Suki about Igby and tells her that uh, Igby was actually the name of his stuffed bear. You know, his, you know, kind of this whole story about how, you know, whenever he lied or about something, Ig- he would say Igby did it. Uh, and then, you know, the family just started calling him Igby whenever he lied about something and he always lies. So his name just kind of stuck to being Igby, <laughs> which is a pretty like, I don't, I don't know. I like that. I like that explanation of the name Igby. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd like an I'd like an explanation of the name Suki at some point in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, at this point now, Ollie and Suki have sex. Uh, they hook up in uh, Suki's apartment, I think it is. Uh, yes. And uh, yeah, it's it's this thing where it's like it's like it feels real weird, like when it's yeah. like this whole sequence and you can tell like Ollie's like taking advantage of her in some way. But it's you know, it's obviously it's consensual by like when it starts and it's just it's weird the way it goes, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely like that offer for the ride. And then he's like, oh, you know what? I don't think I have my keys. Can I uh, come yeah. upstairs and use the phone? He's or like whatever? manipulating like, it into a situation where it's going to happen, basically. Yeah. Basically, yeah, uh, feels real sleazy, real uh, young Republican. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so he and Sookie hook up and then there's a montage of Rachel getting ready to meet Goldblum. She's like changing into different outfits. Igby and Russell are both like kind of watching her and like kind of helping her out a little bit. Uh, yeah. You know, giving her different clothes to try on. And she's like completely naked in front of them. But like they both had sex with Rachel. So I guess it's fine. Uh, yeah. And so uh, she's like getting changed and stuff. And, you know, she finally picks out an outfit. She goes to the restaurant to meet with Goldblum. She sits down at the table where Goldblum is. And he like kind of hesitates and then just leaves as soon as she sits down. Well, you, I feel like you skipped a very important detail there where 
it's during that montage where she's like putting on makeup and then he puts the makeup to cover the track marks on her arm from mm. shooting up heroin. Yeah. Uh, which is like, when the, when did that happen? Like I wrote <laughs> down like this, this is the first time, like there's no other indication, right. That she's been shooting up, uh, that she's even a drug addict at all or a drug user at all. That's like, she sits down and kind of has that like, you know, kind of sweaty junky look and Goldblum gets up and leaves. Right. But I was like, what the fuck? Like that came out of fucking no, it felt like a thing that was like, uh, uh, now, dr- now heroin addiction. Like we just crossed that off the list. Like it felt so yeah. weird. I mean, we're talking about artists who live rent free in an apartment in New York city. So like what else are they going to spend their money on? You know? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I just mean like in the movie, like it's been never show hinted at at all yes. until 45 minutes in. You're like, what? Okay. Yeah, no, I know. It, it really feels like it's just taking cues from like, like rent, I guess, is probably the the, yeah. <laughs> the major thing. Uh, but, you know, other like kind of just anytime you like have a movie about like bohemian characters living in like New yeah. York City, eventually one of them is going to be addicted to heroin. Actually, speaking of uh, old Goldblum movies, next up, Greenwich Village. Uh, yeah. The character d- ODs, the character dies, right? That's right. That was the whole thing. Or maybe it was, I, think, I think it was suicide, but there was the de- there was definitely drug use in that movie, too. Oh, yeah. Add it to the list. Go back to the, the connection part of the episode. Uh, we both had Next Stop Grange Village. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> if we add it in post right now, no one will ever know. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. So she, he leaves as soon as she sits down for the table and she looks like crushed and heartbroken. And then Igby takes his GED test and uh, it looks like deliberately tanks it. He uh, is pretty upset. Yeah. He's like just kind of drawing on a magazine the entire time. <laughs> Right. Uh, and, you know, Suki like took him there and everything. And, you know, when they get out of the test, like they're on the bus back to the apartment and he's like, uh, I got to get out of this, you know, bourgeois city, New York City. It's, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to California. I need some sun. Yeah. Classic. Uh, yeah. And Suki wants to go with him. Suki's like, hey, dude, I want to go. And he's you know, I've always want she's like trying to imply that she wants to go. She's like, I've always wanted to road trip out to California. And he's like, fuck that. I'm flying. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I like it. Kind of made me think of. I guess the scene later on makes me think of that thing from Baby Driver when he was like, you know, getting a car that I that I can't afford with a girl or I forget whatever that line is. Uh, car I can't afford and uh, with a plan I don't have. Just me, my music in the road. Uh, something along those lines. It's, it's something like that. Yeah. Basically, uh, what what Igby's saying. Yes, exactly. So he wants to go to California now, uh, and he finally meets up with his mom. He meets up with Mimi. He's doing that because he wants his money. He wants his money now. Uh, and he's like, listen, I'm going to get it in a couple of years anyway. You know, you might as well just give it to me now and then you can be done with me forever. Right. Yeah. And she's like, just give me the trust now. Let's cut the cord. Come on. Yes. Uh, and she, she won't do it. She will not do it. And, uh, you know, she's talking to him about this whole like, you know, life path that he has chosen. Uh, and she also mentions as he's leaving that, uh, oh, Ollie came by here earlier today with, uh, you know, a nice girl, Jewish girl. Uh, and, you know, Igby realizes she's talking about Suki. Uh, and so he's realizing that uh, Ollie and Suki have become an item like behind his back, sort of it's so- sort of behind his back, but also kind of in plain view. Uh, it's <laughs> a little bit of both. Uh, and, you know, he realizes that it's like sort of getting serious if Ali brought her to lunch with with his mom. Yeah. And that's part of the the ammunition later on their big confrontation about what Ali is probably going to do to Suki. Yeah, exactly. Af- after this, like, you know, Igby is disillusioned. He's like freaking out about his whole life. He gets back to the apartment and finds that Rachel has OD'd. Uh, yes. And so Ra- Rachel is OD'd. He calls 911 
and uh, you know they rush her to the hospital, and so it's he, Goldblum, and Russell all at the hospital together, which is just a great trio of humans. Uh, t- yeah, <laughs> at the hospital, like just like every one of those people looks like they should not be hanging out with the other two people in that group. And like Russell and Igby have such like a kind of weird, fucked up, genuine friendship. Like, yeah, they actually care for each other and also care for Rachel. Uh, and Goldblum just doesn't at no. all. <laughs> yes, and so uh, they find out that Rachel's going to be okay. She's in the hospital, and the do- doctor says she's going to be fine. And so Goldblum takes Igby and brings him back to the apartment. And Igby's like, "I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know who, what, what else to do. I wanted, like, I figured I should call you. I figured I should call nine one one. And Goldblum's like, "No, no, you did the right thing. You did, you did the right thing." And it's, there's a moment where it seems like, you know what? Maybe Goldblum's going to be a bigger person here, and like, you know, understand that this was for the best, and all, like, he saved Rachel's life and all that. Uh, and they get all the way back to the apartments uh, and he sees Igby reach for the key that he always reached for. Right. And then he gets like Kill Bill sirens in his head and uh, just <laughs> fucking wails on Igby. Igby gets attacked a lot in this movie, actually. <laughs> yeah, like just the shit kicked out of him again. Yes. Uh, which we haven't really gotten to see Goldblum to throw punches, be, be action man. Yeah, I mean, uh, unless you count like time. Uh, unless you count like the Lost World or something where he's like punching dinosaurs or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's like the action movie version of his character from the original Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, even in the most action movies, like Independence Day or something like that, he's typically like the intellectual who's kind of like, you know, he, he's doing his fighting behind a keyboard, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not since like special delivery did we get to see him uh, do something. He's yeah. really throw down like he does uh, in this movie. Yeah, uh, but he, yeah, he, he attacks Igby, like really hurts him. Uh, and then like gets up and like tells him he never wants to see him again. He can stay in the apartment, but he's out. It's like he's he's done right. with him. And when Igby wakes up, Ollie's there. Uh, Ollie shows up when Igby is sleeping a lot in this movie also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of like that whole he secretly actually does care, right? Like, he, yeah, he's he never fully abandons him. He's always coming to check on him and is always finding him passed out <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Ollie's there when he wakes up and he uh, te- like tells Igby, you know, what's going on like between him and Sookie. Uh, and also that uh, they found another lump. Uh, and it's like kind of officially revealed that uh, their mom has cancer and she's dying. So they found the lump. And this is when uh, Igby also has like a vision at this point, too, where he sees his dad again, um, mm-hmm. where he's like kind of sitting sitting on a bench, like smoking a cigarette. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot because he like, Bill Pullman comes up like one or two more times and I don't remember the exact order anymore. Yes. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But he has like a vision of his dad and he starts to like kind of like mentally process, I think, what his dad was going through, like seeing like trying trying to start to understand uh, the kind of mental breakdown that his dad had. And so now Igby goes to try to win Sookie back uh, or not, not even to win her back. Cause he uh, like, doesn't know that she's officially gone yet. He, she, he knows that she's been seeing Ollie, but she's also been seeing him. Uh, and so he goes to her apartment and uh, he's like, listen, we're going to California right now. Let's do this. And uh, Sookie's like, uh, I'm not going to California with you. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and he's like, what? No, come on. We're going to California. And it's like, listen, uh, I mean, listen, I'm dating Ollie now. And he's like, no, right. come on. Uh, and she's like, uh, you know, what, what does he have that I don't have? Like you and I have such a genuine connection. And her, her only real excuse here is like, I mean, he's a little bit older. He's like, you know, more my age than you. And he's like, ah, come on. Yeah. We're closer in age. And yeah. she says it a couple times. Yeah. Uh, that's like her big reason for doing it basically. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, it's, it's, you know, a, a relationship that society can like look upon and like, you know, without disgust, I guess, or, right. you know, it's, it's less frowned upon than whatever her relationship with Igby would necessarily be. 
Um, but yeah, so she's dating Ollie now and Igby kind of has this breakdown where he's telling her like, yeah, everything Ollie's going to do, he's going to date you for a little while and then dump you for whatever the next girl is kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I think he, he even might say like, he'll marry you just like for the optics of it kind of thing. Yes. Like you're the correct kind of person that he should marry, but he'll hate you his whole life. Mom will hate you. They're like kind of, you know, up, upright Protestant people and she's Jewish. Right. And that's like a th- thing that like they'll resent you for the whole, their whole, your whole lives. Yep. And he'll cheat on you just like DH does with his wife and all this stuff. Uh, And he has this big, like, you know, outpouring of all of that. And then the door opens and out walks Ollie. Oh, man. (laughs) Brutal. (laughs) That is a brutal moment right there. (laughs) Yeah, you feel freaky. And I think that's like the stuff that like elevates this beyond just like, you know, angsty teenager who's rich and doesn't want his money. Uh, you know, it's yeah. like like I think that that stuff like that, like really makes you feel the emotion of those moments, you know? Yeah, it kind of gets at like that for all of Igby's like dumb teenage assumptions about the world. Like he he does understand some of it. Yes. He understands what what Mimi and Ali and DH and what that whole world is actually about uh, and that he doesn't fit into it and is sad about it or whatever, you know, has has pr- pressure about it. Right. Because he feels uh, he has no like actual place in the world. He's still seeking out what he is looking for kind of thing. He still hasn't found what he's looking for, like Bono, uh, just like Bono, just yeah. like Bono. Uh, and so, yeah, so Ali exits the apartment as Igby has this like kind of breakdown uh, and just kind of like crying outside of the apartment door. Uh, and then there's like a montage of Igby wandering around New York aimlessly set to a Coldplay song. Uh, you know, we've all been there. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can't remember because there's the the band. So, oh, well, it's a cover of the weight. Yes, I think that's later on in the movie. Uh, that, that's that's over remember. Mimi's funeral at the end. I was going to say my only note about that, I guess. Well, I'll save it for when we get there. OK, interesting. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they play Don't Panic by Coldplay uh, during this uh, sequence. And he's kind of wandering around New York and he goes outside Russell's apartment and he kind of shouts up there. Russell, I need a job. Like he's, he's <laughs> shouting up there. Uh, to get to do work for Russell. And uh, basically, Igby now is a, a drug dealer working for Russell. Uh, and he's go, yeah. going around, you know, New York City dealing drugs. It's a very funny scene uh, where he goes to, like, you know, go to a department and buzzes in. Uh, and he's, like, giving the code, like, I know a girl from Baltimore. Uh, and there's, like, an old lady, like, standing behind him. Uh, and like, like their mail or something. Yeah. And, like, the, on the intercom, they're like, I know a girl from Baltimore. What, the, what, the, what does that mean? Who are you? <laughs> and, like, there's, yeah. there's nobody from Baltimore here. <laughs> And, and then the old and then like the other roommates like, oh, wait, this is about the drugs. And it's like, oh, you're here for the drugs. And like the old lady is like looking at him like, <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Yes. It's just Igby's, uh, you know, having a hard time here. Yeah. He's gone. He's gone down. I don't know. He's gone down. He's gone down, down in an earlier round. And Igby were going down swinging. Uh, <laughs> uh, Those just the first two lines of my hilarious Igby goes down. Sugar, we're going down mashup, uh, which you can read the other two lines. <laughs> <laughs> on my Twitter accounts. <laughs> Amazing at, plug, Mike. What's your Twitter account? At M. Smith Film Blog for anybody who wants to check him out. Uh, wow. And so, uh, yeah, he's dealing drugs. There's this one sequence where he uh, ends up running into his old art teacher, uh, Mrs. Piget, uh, played by Cynthia Nixon, and uh, her boyfriend, who I think is played by Eric Bogosian. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, he was in Uncut Gems recently. He's like, the guy's like, are you having a good time? Uh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ar- Ar- Arnie, Arno? Arnie, I forget his name in Uncut Gems. Uh, something like that, yeah. But yeah, I forgot to mention him at the top. But yeah, Eric Pagosian's in this movie, which is wild. So yeah, he runs into her. Her name is Mrs. Piget. And, uh, you know, obviously it sounds like Mrs. Piggy. And that's what he used to call her in the art class. And she like starts to remember that as she's talking to him because she doesn't recognize him at first. Right. He he like says like, oh, it's me, Igby, uh, Ollie's younger brother or whatever. And yeah. Then she asks. This is the moment where I was like, oh, the 
thing about Turtle is probably a lie from earlier, where she asks about Ollie and he goes off on this whole spiel about how he was riding his bicycle and just saw his reflection in the handlebars and got such a big erection that he po- he flipped over the handlebars and <laughs> s- scraped his face off and all that. Like he's just getting more and more ludicrous. Yes. Uh, and I was like, Oh, he's probably lying about turtle in the first scene. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the movie. Yeah, it probably is. And then that's where, you know, uh, Mrs. Pidget, uh, <laughs> was like her face drops and she's like, didn't you used to call me Miss Piggy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she like realizes who this is and all that stuff, which is a pretty funny sequence. Uh, there's also a moment here, like kind of a non sequitur thing where he's like hanging out in Russell's pad. And like this one woman like has a box of Lucky Charms and she just like shouts Lucky Charms. Yeah, <laughs> the box is empty. It'd be anal. Yes, uh, which was pretty funny. And he's just like, he's like completely like I have no idea how to handle the situation. <laughs> yeah, it seems um, like he's living on, on uh, you know, the, the floor in Russell's apartment. Right, exactly. Uh, and so now at this point. Uh, Ollie finds Igby once again, or I think I'm not sure if Ollie finds Igby or somebody finds who finds Igby here. I Doesn't think, Rachel show up? Yes. I remember. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, uh, Igby finds Rachel on the toilet at Russell's. Um, right. they're, they're at Russell's and he like walks into the bathroom and he sees Rachel there and she's, you know, high again. And she men- she mentions that, uh, Ollie's been looking for him. Um, right. you know, Ollie kind of came back around and he was looking for you. And she said, she's telling Igby like your mom is dying. Like she's, she's going to be gone soon. Uh, mm-hmm. and it be like, kind of takes that in. Uh, and it's this moment of like him, I, I think, you know, taking like immense pity on Rachel and like, you know, feeling so sad for her and all that stuff. Like she can't break out of this cycle of addiction. Um, he kind of like takes her off the toilet and kind of like lay, lays her down in the bathtub. Right. Yeah. I forget exactly what she like stands up and hugs him or something. Yeah. She says something like and- your poor mother and then falls back down again. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what she says when she's in the bathtub, but yeah, she like stands up. And then sits down again and falls asleep, like immediately on the toilet. And then that's where he, he kind of like has that moment where he's like, wow, I, I need to help this person. Yes. Uh, but then he just moves her to the bathtub and pees. <laughs> um, uh, so like Evie's still not a great guy. Yeah, you know? exactly. He finds her on the toilet. After this, uh, Igby decides to reconnect with Suki. Um, right. They go meet up over a Sunday and, uh, you know, kind of like reconnect their friendship, which is nice. Yeah, I forget exactly the content, like the contents of that conversation, but it seems kind of like a, yeah, you were right. I'm sorry yeah. that I was an asshole. Yeah, and I think Suki also says she is not dating Ollie anymore, right? Right, yeah. She says she's not dating Ollie anymore, but there's really like no chance for her to be dating Igby either. Like it, he kind of, he makes a joke like, oh, so you want to go have sex? And she's like, Igby, no, come on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they like reconnect over a Sunday and they become friends again, which is nice. Uh, and now we're leading up to the beginning of the movie so Igby goes back home and uh now Igby and Ali are working together to kill their mom uh and it turns out she was in on the poisoning the whole time like it was her idea to uh you know get poisoned and die uh you know on her own terms sort of uh, right and so that you see the opening scene where they're feeding her the poison uh like leads right into that and then you see her with the bag on her head and then she dies oh actually yeah, actually right before she dies I should say uh she looks over to Igby right before they feed her the poison and she says, oh, by the way, Igby, uh, I take it you know that DH is your father. Uh, right. And then just eats and <laughs> takes yeah. a big spoonful of poison. <laughs> and, and yeah. He's like, uh, no, I didn't know that. And it's like, oh, well, I'm glad I told you that. <laughs> and then she yeah. like eats the poison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I can't I don't think it's like obvious if Ali knew either. Yeah. I feel I feel like Ali is like relatively unflappable in this movie. Like even if that was like new information to him, I feel like it would be relatively unfazed. Yeah, he wouldn't care. But yeah, so that you find out that Jeff Goldblum is Igby's father. I don't think Igby ever reveals that he knows that to Goldblum, right? I don't think so. I don't think there's ever like a look or anything like that that they share. Yeah, I think it's um, just like information where he's like, oh, 
All right, then. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, and so then she dies, and you do have a scene where, uh, you know, because Igby, like, came here with the intention to tell his mom to fuck off. He, like, you know, desperately wanted to just, like, you know, yell at her and, like, tell her I don't want your money and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then she dies, and he is crying over her body. Yeah, he has a full breakdown. I think that's actually what he talks about in the diner with uh, with Suki over the Sunday, where he says, like, the thing I'm most mad about is that she she might die before I ever get the chance to tell her to fuck off. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, and then he just has a complete 180, uh, where I think he even is, like, selling, telling her, like, asking her to wake up, right? Like, he's, like, kind of, like, shaking her and, like, having yeah. a full breakdown. It's like, oh, you're still, you're a child. That's right. Yeah. And like those, those familial ties run deeper than, uh, you know, I think anybody, anybody wanted to admit there. Uh, right. And so, yeah, so he uh, is obviously upset uh, and now Goldblum's there and, uh, you know, they're t- taking the body away and they ask Goldblum if you want to see the body and Goldblum says, no, he doesn't want to. Yeah. Uh, which is really, he already says like, no, I've already seen it. And it's like, whoa, that's a weird yeah. way to phrase that. But this is when the mortician guys, uh, funeral parlor people show up and he's like, bam, snapping the hundred dollar bills off to get them to leave. <laughs> yeah. it's like, what the fuck is this guy's problem? Yes. And there's a very funny moment or sequence here where it's Igby calling all the relatives. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like, uh, well, she would come to the phone, but she's dead. Clang. And he slams the phone down. <laughs> he just keeps doing that to everybody. Moves on to the next person. Yeah, that's that's a really yeah. good. Like, I like how, like, quickly he recovered from, uh, you know, crying yeah. over her body or or else this is just his way of, like, you know, dealing with it. Like, you know, just kind of like making everybody else miserable uh, is is cathartic to him. And so that was uh, that's very that is very funny. I really like that. Yeah. And Ollie's just like, oh, he always did like being the bearer of bad news. Yes. Uh, as you hear him like, ah, she's dead. Bang. Like to the <laughs> next family. That's great. So, so good. Uh, and so, yeah. So they're all kind of like uh, kind of parting ways a little bit. And uh, Igby goes to hug Ollie. Like they have like this moment of, uh, you know, of connection a little bit. You know, they're on like kind of the, a level playing ground. And Ollie like sort of respects Igby for doing what he's done to, you know, get out of the house and, you know, live his own life. Uh, so it'd be like kind of goes to hug him and uh, breaks the glass that Ollie is holding like it falls down to the floor. And yeah. they're like, all right, well, we'll just leave. We'll leave it at that. And they leave with like an understanding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Igby's finally going to California. He's going to do it. Yes. Is the conversation they're having. And he's like, oh, going to the Sunshine State. And Ollie's <laughs> like, that's Florida. Um, <laughs> it's like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And then he smashes the glass and he just leaves. Yes. Uh, and so now uh, the wait by the band starts playing, although it's somebody else performing the song. It's not the actual uh, the band version, uh, and it plays over Mimi's funeral. Uh, you see, like, the eulogist kind of, you know, giving his whole spiel. Uh, I, originally, I think Igby was supposed to, like, give a eulogy. I think he was saying he was going to do it, and then they he doesn't. He doesn't do it at the actual funeral, right? Right, yeah, that's what he's saying to Mimi before the poison sets in, that he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to speak for two minutes, or two hours, uh, and I'm not going to mention you once. Yes. And, like, you know, before he has that change of heart. Uh, moment after she actually dies exactly and then he's standing in the back of the funeral i think right yes yeah the funeral's happening and he's kind of standing like in the doorway behind like the back of the church he's there and then he kind of ducks out uh and then he goes to visit his dad in the institution bill pullman or not his real dad as we found out goldman's real dad but the one who originally raised him and yeah bill pullman's gonna be in in the institution doesn't really like recognize igby uh, you know, it's kind of like muttering to himself the whole time. Um, Igby's like kind of just sitting there with him. And then he like kind of gets up and says goodbye to him. And then when he does, he like kind of touches his shoulder and Pullman like kind of looks up for a second uh, and then goes yeah. back to what he was muttering about. Yeah, this is the, this is the whole sequence where I, uh, the note I was just going to be that uh, it's basically cheating to play the weight over anything because it will seem poignant and emotional. Uh, <laughs> right. It's, it's cheating it to play one of the 10 greatest songs of all time uh, in your movie. <laughs> <laughs> Correct, especially when Bill Pullman talked about the immense weight of the universe on his shoulders. Oh, yeah. Here it is. 
take a load off Annie. Yes. You know, it's like, oh, so sad. Yeah, they also play the way in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and it's really good. Uh, <laughs> it's the song that Amazing. plays when the power comes back on. That's the song that's playing over the speakers in Dawn of the Planet oh, of the Apes. Yeah. It's wonderful. It's cathartic cinema. Uh, anyway, Igby flies up to California. That's the end of the movie. That's it. We did it. Igby has gone d- down. Sugar, we're going down. Yes. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> The Igby. first two lines of your song. Oh, man. Igby, Igby goes down, down in an earlier round. And Igby, we're going down swinging. <laughs> I'm just there replacing the word sugar with the word Igby. Uh, it's it's very clever. But anyway, uh, that is Igby Goes Down, a uh, you know independent, you know, kind of breakout movie for Kieran Culkin, uh, an interesting ensemble cast, solid, like, dark comedy drama uh, that I had never heard of before we started doing this podcast. You were at least, you had heard the title before, right, Mike? Yeah, and I don't know in what context at all. Like, I have no other information about the movie than the title. Yeah. <laughs> it was a thing that I knew uh, so that's pretty cool. I'm glad I got to check it out. It's definitely one that I would have never like gotten around to on my own. Uh, like wasn't really on my radar. Yeah, I think that's exactly uh, it. It's not a movie that's like on a ton of people's radars. Like, you know, burst ears is a, somebody who's had a solid career as a studio guy since then, but it's not like a name that, or you gotta like, go back and be like, Oh, I gotta watch every movie in the burst years filmography or whatever. You right. know, it's not like a Tarantino or something like that or a Wes Anderson. Uh, <laughs> to tie it all back around at the beginning. You know, so I feel like with a lot of these, like, you know, movies that are kind of deeper into the catalog, there needs to be like a reason to go back and watch a lot of them. And uh, for that, for that reason, a lot of these movies kind of fall by the wayside. So, uh, for us to check out Igby Goes Down, it turned out to be pretty good. I'm, I'm happy we watched this one. Yeah. Also, if you want more Kiernan Culkin, check out Paper Man, maybe. <laughs> I, like, I'm afraid to recommend that because if it's awful, I'll feel dumb. Right. I haven't seen it in 11 years because it came out in 2010. So check that out, I guess. All right. <laughs> Paper Man, uh, a Mike DiCrescio favorite. Uh, now, uh, <laughs> Number one movie, Walt. Exactly. It's that and the mummy, the big two. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Here are some letterbox reviews for Igby Goes Down. A two and a half star review from the Poetic Critic right here. Uh, it's a haiku. First world teenage angst, wandering and drollery, slight, slightly sleepy. Uh, so the Poetic Critic, not as big of a fan of, uh, of Igby Goes Down. Uh, as maybe we were. I, I feel like I gave it like a three stars on Letterboxd when I ranked it. And through this conversation, I feel like it's grown to a three and a half. You know, I feel like oh. I, I've liked it a little bit more uh, by the end of this podcast than I did at the beginning. So there's that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with Poetic Critic, though, or c- can see the version of me that uh, absolutely agrees with Poetic Critic. Oh, I mean, yeah. There's something that that just enough connects me to Igby and whatever is going on in this movie to get above the just like, well, these are just boring, rich assholes exactly. kind of thing, you know, <laughs> definitely. Uh, here's a three and a half star review from Cinema Void. My boy Igby packs more teenage angst than the first wave of new metal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's a good one. Uh, here's a three star review from Nora. Uh, reasons why this movie was made specifically for me to watch in February 2021. Realizing that future Academy Award winner Kieran Culkin has said fuck off in the exact same intonation since 2002. Uh <laughs> Jared Harris wears eyeliner and a red fur coat and has a terrible mustache and basically adopts Kieran Culkin. Uh, I've been watching my so-called life recently and gestures wildly. Claire Danes. (laughs) Uh, Weird succession prequel energy because Kieran is essentially playing young Roman Roy here. And the guy who plays Gil is in this and is married to Cynthia Nixon? Question mark. Bill Pullman and Susan Sarandon, terrible parents, plus terrible godfather Jeff Goldblum. Uh, Ryan Philippe spends this whole movie talking in a slow, deep voice and like, JK, he's a fascist in this, but unfortunately, he's still hot. Uh, <laughs> and finally, a moody sequence set to Don't Panic, the Coldplay song I played most on my iPod Nano in 2006. 
<laughs> yeah, that moment was like, oh, yeah, this is 2002. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah 100%. For sure. Uh, and finally, his three-star review from Alexa Shear. It's just Home Alone 2, but with sex and clinical depression. <laughs> <laughs> you know, most things are, if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if we're going to go down that rabbit hole, Mike, yes, you are correct. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, so that is Igby Goes Down, which, if anybody wants to watch it, it is available on HBO Max right now, by the way. Uh, yeah. th- that is where I watched it. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth uh, checking this one out. I think we both liked it. Uh, almost, almost despite ourselves, we liked Igby Goes Down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it had just enough uh, bite, biting wit to get around that. Exactly. Uh, so, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the shows, you can do that on our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film and Letterboxd, Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thank you for listening to The Complete Works. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at Pod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press, alongside the totally original Geek News podcast, which is a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And we want to thank our social media advisor, Danielle Clark, too, who you can reach at Glee NYC. She also has her own podcast called No More Late Fees. Uh, join us on the next Complete Works. We are talking Goldblum's appearance in Run, Ronnie, Run, the uh, Mr. Show spinoff, which is widely derided by the cast of Mr. Show. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Isn't it also like an uncredited cameo or some weird Oh, show? yes. Yeah, it's an uncredited uh, celebrity cameo with Jeff Goldblum. There are actually a ton of cameos uh, in Run, Ronnie, Run. I'm expecting the Goldblum reunion meter to uh, get at least a little bit more of a tick uh, af- mm. after that episode after that episode runs through next week. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I'm a huge Mr. Show fan. I've never seen Run, Ronnie, Run, uh, and I am afraid to. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, it is one of those things like you listen to like Comedy Bang Bang now and like Scott Ackerman used to write on Mr. Show uh, and also helps write Run, Ronnie, Run. And even and he's like, yeah, uh, that movie really got away from us. It's it's, <laughs> it's bad. Uh, so uh, I look forward to watching it, though. We'll see what happens. Open minds, you know. That's, yeah. that's all we can hope for. Uh, and this week, I'm like, might go to the movies. We're talking some Marvel stuff. Loki and Black Widow getting into uh, those big properties uh, that have been happening this past month. Uh, Mike D actually watched them. So we will we will talk about those in a bit. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about those this week uh, with special guest Mikey Pockets, a.k.a. the other Mike Smith uh, of another podcast. Fun times in Flushing. Uh, all right. So that's going to be on Mike. I go to the movies. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom. Uh, Anderson had broken through by the early 2000s and his style and was already starting to be imitated. Case in points, the movie we're talking about today, 2002's Igby Goes Down. Wow, what a long walk that was. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this isn't the movie. It's not. We're not doing CCZ, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I watched the wrong thing. Oh, no. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Amazing.